Welcome to the Doctors Hospital podcast. I am your host, Alexis Burrows, brand manager at Doctors Hospital. Today we are starting a new series here on the podcast and given that under normal circumstances this would be considered back to school time, obviously with COVID and everything else that's happening it's a little bit different, but we still think that there's value in having discussions about some of the things that our children, our young people may be facing from a health standpoint as we get prepared for getting back into school, regardless of what that might look like. Um, So today... In the first part of our series, we have Dr. Yashika Seymour, who's a pediatrician and a pediatric critical care intensivist, joining the podcast to talk about kids and COVID. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Seymour. Thank you, Alex. Before we get started, here are a few words on the new normal at Doctors Hospital. We at Doctors Hospital have been hard at work preparing for the new normal. From COVID screening as you enter the facility, to mandatory hand and shoe washing stations. To further limit contact, we have launched a concierge service that allows for pre-registration and in-car waiting. Scheduling for imaging, laboratory, rehabilitation, and other services has also been adjusted. And our pharmacy is now offering curbside pickup and delivery. We're here to serve you with the same quality and care that you've come to expect. Doctors Hospital. Trusted and best care now. Isn't your health worth it? Today we want to talk about you know, kids and COVID in particular, um, I think a lot of the discussion, a lot of the standard discussion around um, the community seems to be more so um, just a general discussion. But I think there's a lot of um, information to be gleaned on, you know, how kids are dealing with COVID, what parents should know about how um, to look out for the signs and at which point they get tested and that sort of thing. So we wanted to get you on the podcast to kind of talk about a lot of those um, questions and try to get some some guidance on how parents should should see, um, monitor their kids and know how to react and respond. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is what are some of the signs and symptoms of a child with COVID-19? Okay. So when it comes to the signs and symptoms of a child with COVID-19, they're actually the same as they are for an adult. Um, So a pediatric patient with COVID-19 can present with fever or chills, cough, um, shortness of breath, fatigue. They can have muscle aches, headache. Um, What is new is now they can have a new loss of um, sensation of taste or of smell. They can present with a sore throat, nausea, vomiting, and even diarrhea. Okay. Um, so there isn't really a difference between the adult symptoms and the symptoms that may present in a child. Correct. Now, I do have to say there is a condition called the multi-system inflammatory syndrome that children tend to get that we have not seen in adults as yet. Mm-hmm. And what this um, what this syndrome is, is basically it's almost as if the immune system is having like an exaggerated response. It's an overreaction of the immune system. Mm-hmm. So now that is actually a condition that tends to be 
um, a little different in children, but in terms of how the child initially presents, the mm-hmm. symptoms are the same, but children can have a more severe form um, of this illness in a small population of them. And that one is a little different. Okay. Um, so the other question I have, and I, I've seen a lot of commentary, and I think people in general have seen a lot of commentary um, surrounding whether or not children are able to transmit the virus. So there have been people who said who have said that children are unable to transmit the virus, specific, particularly back to adults. Is there any truth to that thought? Okay, so I understand why people are saying that. It is believed that children less than the age of 10 years of age are less likely to transmit, but the key word is less likely, Mm -hmm. not that the child cannot transmit it. Uh, What we do know is that the pediatric population, so when it comes to COVID-19, the amount of children, the numbers are a lot less compared to the adults. In the U.S., as of July 21st, it was like 6.6% of the cases were reported to have COVID-19 who were pediatric patients. In our own community, our percentage so far has been about 3.7%. That was like as of the middle of July. And so you can appreciate it's a small percentage. So it's a small percentage of children that do have it. And like I said, yes, we do believe that if they are less than 10 years of age, they're less likely to transmit it. But it is a less likely, not that it cannot be transmitted from a child to an adult. Right. So it's not impossible. It's just unlikely. Okay. Exactly. Um. So another question, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about different, um, I guess, treatments or things that could help um, or hurt the child in terms of their likelihood of getting COVID. So uh, one of the discussions, I think, was around Motrin and drugs like Motrin. So will, will Motrin make my child more likely to get COVID? Okay, so it's an interesting question, and and it obviously shows that somebody has been doing some reading. So when this pandemic initially came about, um, there was a few, um, I don't want to say articles, but there were a few statements that if you took Motrin, which is an NSAID, which is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, so that's like ibuprofen, Advil, Motrin, if you took those things, it was thought that taking and said in the presence of this particular viral illness caused um, patients to actually have a worse form of COVID-19. They would get sicker. They would have adverse side effects, poor outcomes. But the World Health Organization in, I think it was April 19th of this year, they put forth a scientific brief on NSAIDs. And what it did show was that taking NSAIDs, ibuprofen, Motrin, Advil, it actually does not cause any severe um, adverse events. And basically, it doesn't affect the patient's survival or outcome at all. So it is perfectly safe to use NSAIDs during um, while you have COVID. Now, the patient, though, has to be older than six months. We just don't use NSAIDs for children that are less than six months of age. Okay, understood. Um, so another more specific question, um, and I think this is just people trying to get an idea of, you know, what they should be looking out for and at which point should they take their child to get tested. So, yeah, I think somebody had asked through um, our space, you know, my nine-day-old child seems different. Um, just something's not right. Should I get them tested for COVID? 
Okay, no, please don't. Um, if you have a very non-specific symptom, like your nine-day-old acting different, mm -hmm. um, please call your pediatrician first. I think that would be the first thing that you need to do. Acting different can mean so many things. It could mean that the baby is just needs to poop. The child may have constipation. Mm -hmm. um, so I would recommend that you actually start by contacting your pediatrician. If you do not have a pediatrician, you we have the clinics. There's the um, Fleming Street Clinic. Um, we have an emer a pediatric emergency room. And there's also a COVID hotline that you can call. So I wouldn't say just go ahead and get your child tested. At least speak to um, a health professional first. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so moving into the direction of... Um, you know, school and reopening and that sort of thing. Um, the first question I would ask you is, what are your thoughts generally on schools reopening? <laughs> okay, that is a the hot topic right now. Mm -hmm. um, okay, my thoughts. So I'll start off by saying when it comes to the school, I do think it's a very important part of the infrastructure of our community. It plays a critical role with regards to the entire child and their development, not just academically, but, you know, the social interactions, even the structure, knowing that you wake up at such and such a time, you go to class, all of that helps with child growth and development. Mm -hmm. When when we when we make a decision or when the decision about opening school comes into play, I think it actually is multifactorial. One of the big things to consider is basically what's happening with regards to community transmission of this virus at the time. So of course, if we're on the second wave and the numbers are going up exponentially, that is not the time to open school. Uh, what we have to do is weigh out the fact that the community transmission may actually be, let's say, slowing down or at a standstill. Mm -hmm. And then you want to also take a look at whether or not there are appropriate measures within the school mm -hmm. uh, with regards to mitigating the transmission. And so what I tell my patients is that it is quite it is okay as a parent to ask the school, what are your protocols and policies in place in order to prevent my child from getting COVID? So there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to know the, the information. And mm -hmm. if you feel as if what they have in place is, is not um, sufficient or is at least not meeting the guidelines put forth by the um, health professionals, then that may not be the best time to send your child to school. Mm -hmm. In addition, once again, your pediatrician, have a conversation with your pediatrician. I think that's very important because your pediatrician is the one that knows your child's past medical history. So for example, if you have a child, you know, some parents, um, the child may have asthma or the child may be mm -hmm. someone that tends to always get respiratory illnesses. That may not be the patient that you actually want to send to school right away. You may want to see maybe a vaccine is out or you may want to see that maybe um, our numbers are now down to let's say less than 0.1% before a patient like that comes mm -hmm. um, to school. So it's a multifactorial um, consideration for mm -hmm. me when it comes to opening the school. And so always pay attention to what is going on in the community at the time before you make that decision. Pay attention to what the school is doing at the time before you make that decision. And thirdly, and also very importantly, make sure you speak with your pediatrician and you can kind of come up with a plan together in terms of when would be the best time for your child to go back to school. Right. Before we continue, here are a few words on Doctors Hospital's new Loyalty Advantage membership program.
Doctors Hospital is proud to introduce the Loyalty Advantage Membership Program, or LAMP. LAMP offers medical service discounts to new and existing Doctors Hospital patients. With membership starting as low as $20 per month, LAMP benefits include fee waivers for insured patients, discounts on inpatient and outpatient services, access to free imaging services, and much more. For a full list of benefits or to sign up for LAMP, visit doctorshospitalcom slash LAMP. Doctors Hospital, trusted and best care now. Isn't your health worth it? Now, I have, a, I guess, a, a side question off of that. Um, where does daycare fit into this? Because I understand, you know, we talk about schools, and I think the, you know, most people's thought will go to primary school and right, high right. school as your first two points of contact. But, like, for me, I have a two-year-old. So mm-hmm. are there different considerations that daycare should have, um, should, like, I guess, what does that look like? Right. So when they talk about school with the Center for Disease Control, what they call it is they they call it the K2 to 12. Mm -hmm. So it is so from the age, sorry, from the grade K2 up to grade 12. Mm -hmm. So when we when they put forth their recommendations, that's the age group. Um, Daycare by itself is a little different. You're right, um, because you may go to. Like your child may go to the lady down the street and as long as there's, you know, more than two um, children that are there that are not related, that's considered daycare. But Mm -hmm. yet it's the lady down the street who's just keeping um, um, children. And so it doesn't really speak to that. um, But the same, to me, the same... um, the same protocols should apply. Mm-hmm. So basically, if this is a place where the child is staying and there is no way for the children to have some degree of social distancing, then to me, that's a high risk area. Mm-hmm. Don't assume just because it's someone that you know that they don't have COVID. So the lady down the street who mm-hmm. you know and love who keeps your child still could have COVID. Right. And so we have to be very um, cautious and very careful in a situation like this. Mm-hmm. Now, in something like that, because it's a more um, closed network, it's possible to get tested. Mm-hmm. I know for some people there are some um, facilities, their staff is tested routinely. So you can ask questions like that mm-hmm. and find out whether or not the daycare um, owner does that for their staff members. Right. So it's, 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 it's a lot of different things to consider. It's a very difficult decision to make um but i do think you should be very pragmatic with regards to your approach to it mm-hmm. and and also scientific mm-hmm. and i well i know you know you're you're speaking specifically to like the lady down the street but i know in terms of the orders um the orders have i think been taken to speak to formalized daycare in the general discussion of schools um should that be something that's considered separately in terms of having it well just organized. so when the when the orders go out whatever applies to primary schools and high schools also applies to daycare should there be I, separate consideration for daycare so for me i think it should all be included it okay. should be the same in terms of the standard that you acquire of a of a school mm-hmm. should apply to the daycare also. okay fair enough all right, so I guess jumping off of the question about um, schools reopening and protocols and that, and that sort of thing, um, just in general, should all children be wearing a mask? 
Okay, that's a really good question. Um, I actually had put something on, on my website or Facebook about it, and it got a lot of response. So this is definitely a burning question. Mm-hmm. So what is recommended by the CDC and the pediatrician community, or pediatric community, I should say, is that children who are less than two years of age should not wear a mask. Okay. Um, it's just because there's the risk of suffocation. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be sure that the child will be able to take it off the mask if there's any difficulty breathing. So if a child is less than two years of age, you try to actually keep them home or if they do have to go out because everybody's situation is different, Mm -hmm. um, you want to ensure that everybody around the child has on a mask to minimize any transmission to the child. But the child less than two years of age should not wear a mask. Mm -hmm. I also want to say that if anybody has a history of difficulty breathing, if a person is unconscious, like not responsive, then those also you don't want to have the mask on that right okay so just thinking about as a parent and you know wrapping your head around the idea of your child going back into a school environment how should i um prepare my child to go back into into school in a covid world and how does that vary say if my kid is you know in daycare versus in primary school versus in high school how does uh, would the recommendations for preparation vary according to the age bracket so when I, when when you say recommendations vary, it's a it's a yes with a little um, caveat to it. Is recommendations vary in terms of um, the education or mm-hmm. the child's developmental capabilities. Right. So for me, um, how to prepare your child to go back to school in the, in during this pandemic, the first step would actually be education. You have to educate your child. Um, now every child is different and you know developmentally where your child is at and what they can handle Mm -hmm. and so you may have to use one technique to educate a certain way for Mm -hmm. child a but you need a separate technique to educate another child child b but the key though is we want to educate them in terms of what is going on in the community let them know that we are facing and it's it, it has nothing to do with who they are or where they are because it's something that's all throughout the world and then you also want to educate them on what they need to do in order to try and fight this virus so kind of have them be a part of the solution Mm -hmm. and so let them know that hey in order for us to fight this for the world and whether or not you want to make them the superhero for it or you know you know give them a character Mm -hmm. um they have to basically social distance themselves, but respectfully, of course, they have to wash their hands for 20 seconds. If they have to cough or sneeze, they're going to do it in their elbow and they should wash their hands right away. Mm-hmm. If they can't wash their hands, then go ahead and use the hand sanitizer. So education and then empowering the child actually helps them. Let them be a part of the solution. And children are a lot smarter than we realize. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, you have a few situations where a child will still want to you know hug their friend or so forth but that's where the school protocol comes in and they should actually be monitoring things like that so yeah so um education and then empowering your child i would say is the best way in addition to you want to make sure you're paying attention to their um diet and exercise you want them to be as healthy as they can be so let them take their vitamins make sure they're getting lots and lots of rest and um, just make sure that they are their immune system is as robust as it can be. Right. Now, I have um, an unplanned question. Um, okay. So thinking about how everyone is kind of having to cope with living in this, this current space of 
dealing with the pandemic, um, with it still being um, at a peak for us, especially here in the Bahamas, um, and then looking at children, how do I balance keeping my child safe against um, the dangers potentially of not allowing them to just be a kid? Because I imagine with the lockdowns and the curfews and park closures and things like that, there's a lot of things that kids would normally do as a part mm-hmm. of summer, especially that, that that they've not been able to do. Um, so, and I, I imagine that can have some negative impact. So how, how should parents balance keeping their children safe versus, like I said, allowing them to just enjoy or be a, a regular kid? Yeah. So that's actually a really good question. I was just speaking with one of my um, colleagues in Wisconsin and what are unfortunately seeing a lot of suicide now um, in in Wisconsin because of all of this. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 the coping mechanism for the some of the children has actually been very negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a really important question because we do have to create a balance. Once again, we are social creatures and mm-hmm. we do require some degree of social interactions. For some children, the person that they um that they feel closest to or someone that they could, can communicate to is actually not the person living in their household. Right. And so if they're quarantined and we're not allowed to go out, then they have lost that, um, that confidant. They have lost that one person. I'm talking about the older children, but mm-hmm. we absolutely can be the younger children too. Mm-hmm. So what the, the, what I would recommend in this scenario, because it is a difficult scenario is one still provide structure so um, in terms of ha- still have a routine, so where Monday to Friday, um, the child should still, and that's what summer schools do, mm-hmm. the child should still be involved in some type of structural learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, it, it, it helps, you know, to kind of compartmentalize things a bit for a child, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. And then you also want to make sure you take time, family time. So despite the fact that you're always home together, you still have a set aside, almost like you have a date, like mm-hmm. you have a date night with your children mm-hmm. and let them know that, hey, you know, at this particular time, we're going to, whether it's make pizza together or or we're going to just make cookies together. Children love baking. Mm-hmm. Um so you can actually, so it's something that they're looking forward to do, to do. So we know that, oh, okay, when Saturday comes, we're going to bake cookies. It's going to taste good, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is exercise. It is amazing the amount of stress release that exercise can do. And so we call it exercise, but for children, it's playtime. Mm-hmm. So make sure we actually do have playtime um, assigned for the children. And then for the older children, um, I think it is important for them to still communicate with their friends. They obviously won't be doing it face to face, but let give them their time where they can do it via Zoom or Google Meet or whatever, um, where they can actually um, have have communication with with their friends and it, and seeing them something not just where they're talking on the phone but seeing and and once they know that their parents are supportive of that, it tends to be a little bit more. Um, appreciated i guess mm-hmm. to know that okay mom mom thinks mom recognizes that this is important for me right. so 
those are a few of the little things that can be done. It is a difficult, it is a difficult scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that we, none of us have been faced with before, um, but we do have to kind of be creative with what we do. And the other thing is just talk to your children as much as possible. Find out how they are feeling, what they're, you know, what they're going through. Mm-hmm. It is, this is the time where you really, really, really need to talk to your children because you need to know if there's something that they are dealing with that mm-hmm. you just have to address. You don't want it to go um, unnoticed or un, unattended to for a very long time. Right. Right. So I think, um, you know, kids are, are so smart and so aware, you know. So mm-hmm. if you're in a situation where, you know, one of the parents may be on reduced pay or maybe out of work, you know, they're seeing all of the stressors that are affecting sure. the people around them in their household. And then they're also seeing a lack of opportunity to just go out and, and relieve that stress in different ways. Right. And, you know, I feel like kids these days are so much more aware than we give them credit for. Absolutely. So it's an, you know, it's a, it's a thing that I guess as parents, we have to be very mindful of mm-hmm. because we, we don't want to create an environment where all they hear and all they know is fair. Um, right because of the potential damage that can have for them exactly that is so true that is so true and that's another thing too even for the adults and likewise for the children like i'm going to talk about my sister which i shouldn't but anyway this girl watches the news non-stop 24 hours a day seven Mm -hmm. days a week like at some point you need to step away Mm -hmm. and not get any information on COVID, not get any information on, you know, what's happening with the world. Like you need to just remember to enjoy life, like enjoy the moment. It, 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 it's unfortunate the moment that we're in right now, but still remember to take time for yourself and just enjoy it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, this has been a very, um, a very informative conversation. Uh, I think we covered a lot of ground on some of the different questions that um, I know we've seen come up through questions provided through um, the hospital and then also questions that I imagine you would have come across um, working with uh, parents and, and, and kids out there as a pediatrician. Um, is there, where can I get m- more answers if I have additional questions about COVID, whether it's related okay. specifically to my kid or just COVID in general? Right. So for general information on COVID-19, I strongly, strongly recommend the CDC website. Mm -hmm. That's the Center for Disease Control. And you just type in cdc.gov and um, it'll take there. They have a whole section on COVID questions Mm -hmm. and you can just kind of cruise that at your leisure. And then we also have a COVID hotline in the Bahamas, which I'm sure we could put up at the end mm-hmm. um, for people, but basically, right, call. And then I would say, too, once again, your pediatrician. Um, don't be afraid to contact your pediatrician if you have questions. Like I said, your pediatrician knows your child's past medical history, and so that's the best um, scenario. And so you can always contact your pediatrician for additional information also. Okay, great. Thank you for listening to the Doctor's Hospital podcast. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Yashika Seymour for joining us today and walking us through a very um, engaging discussion on COVID-19 and specifically how it impacts kids and some of the things that parents ought to know about COVID-19 and their kids. Um, Just to tag on, Dr. Seymour did mention that if you wanted to get more information, you can reach the uh, COVID hotline here at Doctor's Hospital. Um, And if you're listening and you don't know that number, 
the number is 357-5708. And if you're calling in from the Family Islands, that number is 300-2311. So here in New Providence, 357-5708. And in the Family Islands, 300-2311. Once again, we thank you for listening to the Doctors Hospital podcast. We invite you to like, comment, subscribe, and share. And we will see you here next week on the Doctors Hospital podcast.